This is Wildcat Country. It's only right. The ball's in his hands. A milestone victory for Arizona. Simon Says Championship. All the inside scoop on U of A Athletics. Welcome to another edition of Wildcat Country. Eric Cohen and Shane Dale here. I'll tell you, Shane, this is probably one of the rare times I'll ever say this. Thank God I was wrong. And we'll, we'll talk about what I mean by that in a second. Have, we have a great show coming up for you today. Uh, John Fina former Wildcat offensive lineman, going to join us. And Mark May, uh, national college football analyst. You have seen him on ESPN over the years. Uh, he's going to join Shane and, and talk about his thoughts on uh, on everything Jedfish and that hire. But for once, we're going to start with basketball. And last week, you and I both said, uh, Shane, that uh, the Wildcats would split the series with ASU. We did not think there would be a sweep. And thank God I was wrong. And thank God we were wrong. We're both wrong. I didn't even predict the second one because I didn't know what was going to happen in the first one. But what's rarer, Eric, uh, snow in Tucson or beating ASU twice in the same week or in, within what? a five-day span? You know, Tucson freezing over, uh, yeah, I don't even know what analogy we can make for that. But, yeah, really bizarre turn of events there. I mean, the first one, the, the, the snow is really bizarre. But the first game last Thursday was – really shocking to me because I thought ASU outplayed the Wildcats for the most part. It's a game U of A doesn't win very often. I still think even after these two games on paper, and especially without uh, Jamarl Baker in the lineup and still without Kirk Creaser for the time being, I still think on paper ASU is a better team than Arizona. ASU should have a much better record. Now they've had all kinds of issues, COVID and, and, you know, Remy's missed games due to attending the funeral. And so there's been a lot of other factors, but I think the Devils are out of excuses now. And uh, just some thoughts on Bobby Hurley because, uh, you know, we, we went over that last week and what he said after the game, this tweet after the game. You know, none of our listeners might feel this way. I do like Bobby Hurley, though. And I had a chance to cover him and ASU men's basketball quite a bit during my time at 15 because it's, you know, the Phoenix market. It's what we, it's what my role was. And, you know, I actually hosted Bobby's first ever Facebook live Q&A hmm. uh, a few days before they played Arizona uh, in what was Bobby's second season uh, at ASU. Um, so I like him. I was a little disappointed in his reaction to the loss at, uh, in Tempe, although I do understand it. I mean, like I said, it's been a full month of, more, of frustration for Bobby Hurley and that team on a number of levels. I think that game and the way it ended was the breaking point for him. Uh, but to blame officiating for that loss, especially when you consider the bad calls on both sides of the ball in that game and the fact that Remy Martin couldn't be bothered to get his butt back on defense on that last possession after he didn't get that call. I don't think that was a good look for ASU and for Bobby Hurley. All right. Bobby Hurley comes off like a spoiled brat. Uh, he, he did after that particular game. I, I, I thought it was a classless on his part. I mean, let's let's start with the, the, the final 30 seconds here. Azulis Tubelis gets called for a moving screen, which, I mean, listen, I'm not a basketball player per se, but that looked like a defensive foul when your guy gets tackled. And I don't think Tubelis, you know, moving his hip into Remy Martin, causing him to tackle it. Uh, I think it was a Kinjo. I mean, I, I don't, I don't think, I, I don't see that as an offense foul. So I thought that was a terrible call. On the other end, I believe that Tubelis fouled Remy Martin. 
that is a hey late in the game let's let him play let's not let's not let a game get decided like that mm-hmm. i have no problem with it um but it was a foul if you're going to look at it in my opinion and then remy martin standing there you can see it a little bit in the clip he's standing there pouting on the ground throwing his arms up in the air and James Akinjo and Tubelis made a fantastic play. Now, I don't know if Akinjo meant to shoot the ball or if he saw Tubelis. Oh, it was a go- shot. It was a shot. It well, he, I don't know about that. I mean, it could have been one of those, hey, I was going to take a shot, and then I saw him, so I'm just going to lob it. I mean, I don't know. But mm-hmm. it was it was it worked out perfectly. And, I mean, what a, what a glorious win. If that wasn't, you know, whatever happens the rest of the year, that was so great, wasn't it? Did it take a little bit of the sting out of 70 to 7 for you? Oh yeah, bit. yeah. It's seventy to seven right now. I don't care about seventy to seven. I, I really, I mean, I know that it was horrible, but I don't care because it's a it's a totally different administration, which we're going to talk a lot about on on the show today. But um, you know, when it came to basketball, yeah, this was a this was a fantastic win. I was it was yeah. stunning. I didn't see it happening. I really didn't. And even if you feel bad for Bobby Hurley and ASU after that game, you know they had a chance, a very very rare opportunity to go down to Tucson five days or four days later it was and proved that they were the better team. Like Bobby Hurley said after the game and they didn't prove it. And, and Arizona came out and just stomped them. I know they made it close toward the end, but that was just a, a thorough butt kicking. And I think if Ben Matherin was healthy in the second half, cause he went down with that ankle injury that fortunately wasn't as severe as it looked at the time uh, that comeback probably wouldn't have happened. But even with that, you know, you can't argue that Arizona was the better team and it certainly deflates. I think Bobby Hurley's, uh, argument that ASU was the better team, although to his credit, he took some ownership for that loss after the game. He didn't blame it all on the officials or anything else. So, but yeah, a sweep is great. It's I, you know, and you know, I wonder, Eric, because I remember in the early '80s when uh, Arizona started the streak in football, and that started partly because Arizona was on probation at the time; they mm. weren't allowed to play in bowl games. Did not and know that. Know, Ricky Hundley and the Mott Hundley, they you know told me. Uh, when I put together my book about, gosh, about 10 years ago now, it's crazy. Uh, they told me that, you know, that they kind of looked, started looking at ASU game as their bowl game at the end of the season. And that's what really got them going. And I wonder, since there's no postseason opportunity for the basketball team this year, maybe they're making a bigger deal out of these other games. And this is one of the big accomplishments they wanted to check off their list. It's always a big game to play ASU, but maybe it was even bigger toward the top of their list this year because there's no NCAA tournament. Yeah, I think that's a great uh, that's a great way to look at it. I mean, obviously, the fact that the second game was moved from March to this past Monday, um, and, and the chance to kind of validate what they did on Thursday night, and I mean, that was it was what forty to eighteen at halftime, something like that. Mm-hmm. Thorough butt kicking, and Remy Martin got hot at the end of the game, and they got it. I think they got it to nine was the closest that the game was, you know, since the opening tip. Practically, it was. Unbelievable. Uh, ASU, to me, is a fractured team. I think they could reel off 15 in a row to end the regular season, and I still don't think they're NCAA tournament worthy unless they win the Pac-12 tournament. I really don't. I think it's a case of bad team chemistry right there. When you look at that team, you know, you could say that about the Wildcats a couple years ago when Trier stuck around. You you know, you kind of – there were some rumors about the team chemistry, and I, I don't – I wasn't privy to it, Shane. Maybe you know more than I do, but – Josh Christopher, to me, it looks like he's ruining that team's chemistry uh, at ASU. It seems like they got a lot of uh, guys playing hero ball there. Yeah. And, yeah. I, and don't get me wrong. I don't want to spend this whole time talking about ASU basketball. But, you know, that's part of the equation. And, uh, you know, I don't know if you saw, Eric, uh, Joe Lenardi mentioned that uh, if Arizona was tournament eligible, they'd probably be a nine seed right about now. And that was what? before the, 
That was before their win over ASU on uh, on Monday. You think that's too low? Let me tell you, Lenardi is a piece of garbage for his U of A takes. I think that's about accurate. Oh, no, 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 no. Hold on a second. Now, Lenardi has, has a, is a notorious U of A hater because Lute canceled the game against St. Joe's in the 90s where Lenardi, I believe, was a professor of some kind. And so he's held a grudge. Every year he tries to crap on U of A. It, it's, it's, you know, and I don't know the guy as a person. Maybe he's a fine guy, but he hates U of A. He's on the, the enemy list when it comes to Wildcat basketball. This team is better than a nine seed. I, I'm telling you, there are not there are not 32 better teams in the country uh, than Arizona right now. Uh, this is a top 25 team when they are healthy. No question about it. In my I mind. just think it's hard to say just because they haven't been tested that much. You know, a lot of the big games on their calendar they weren't able to play. But don't get me wrong; they've overachieved. I think this is one of Sean Miller's better coaching jobs at Arizona. I think, save for his second season, the Derek Williams uh, Elite Eight season, uh, it, it's definitely one of his best. Now, in terms of accomplishments still in front of them, they still have a chance at the regular season championship. They're two games behind UCLA, which lost to Stanford last weekend. Now, if they had beaten UCLA at home a, a few weeks ago, they'd be right in it. Uh, but they still have a lot of time. They still have more than half the schedule left, you know, uh, health permitting. So that's still on the table. It's still in front of them. And I'm glad about that because it gives them something to play for uh, beyond these games against ASU. So, uh, we, again, like I said, with no Pac-12 or NCAA tournament to look forward to, you have to think that beating ASU is toward the top of the list. And I think that winning at UCLA is probably the next biggest thing, not only because that's really been historically Arizona's biggest rival, but because that's that game could make or break their chances to win the conference. That's a good point. Now I'm not looking at them as a as a conference champion. I know I know that's a, a good goal at this point, uh, regular season champion. I just I, I think building on the future and you know what we've seen from Tubelis and Ben Matherin and then you know Kirk Creasa comes back uh, likely next week, um, probably next Thursday, as Sean Miller said today. So that's pretty exciting that we're going to get a chance to see him. I, I would guess that Matherin's not going to play on Thursday night. I maybe Saturday, but I'm going to assume we don't see him until next week either. Um, Colorado's going to be a good game. I think Stanford's missing three of their best guys mm-hmm. uh, due to suspension, including Zaire Williams, the the top recruit who chose Stanford over U of A. Uh, so I would expect Arizona to to handle them uh, rather easily, even without Matherin. Uh, the Colorado will be a tough challenge, and uh, kind of curious to see how that plays out. Um, when it comes, or excuse me, Colorado. We're talking about Cal, jeez. Uh, we're talking about Cal. I think uh, I think they're going to crush Cal. Uh, ASU is a big favorite over Cal tomorrow night. I don't know why I thought Colorado. I was I was looking at the scoreboard here, and, and they're playing Washington State. So I, uh, thinking about Colorado. So they're going to crush. They're going to sweep this weekend, and uh, you know, put themselves that much closer to a potential uh, Pac-12 regular season title. Um, I want to switch gears here for a second. Talk a little bit of football before we have our two guests. It's an offensive lineman based show with uh, John Fina and Mark May. Really excited to talk to John, who has always, when I have seen him, uh, been the uh, very enthusiastic. So curious if he is the same with Shane and I uh, on the podcast. And you're going to talk to to Mark May, and we will react to that afterwards. But uh, interesting week for Jed Fish. Uh, brought on a couple of uh, you know uh, folks, including Brandon Sanders, uh, to do some recruiting. Uh, and also got a couple of notable recruits this week, uh, which is pretty exciting. Yeah, we'll mention real quick, Eric, that you know we we don't uh, we record this podcast kind of uh, from one segment to the next over a one or two day span, depending on when guests are available. So uh, Mark will be available when I'm able to talk to him. I know you're not going to be able to, but I'm excited to have you react 
to what Mark <laughs> has to say at the end of the show. I love Mark May. Generally, I love Mark May. I hope he's good, but we'll find out. I hope we'll, we'll see. We'll we'll see. Yeah. He, he's never shy. That's no, for sure. No. Uh, yeah. As far as Arizona football, you look at a couple of big recruits uh, or commits this past week, both transfers, uh, Gunnar Cruz, who knows uh, all about the territorial cup rivalry, by the way, uh, three-star quarterback out of uh, transfer from Washington state, a uh, local guy. Uh, his mother went to ASU. He spent a lot of time going to games there. Uh, got an offer from ASU, got an offer from NAU. Don't believe he got an offer from Arizona originally, which again is another apparent failure of the previous coaching regime. Uh, but it seems like they've righted that ship and uh, maybe the heir apparent to Grant Cannell, we'll see. Uh, seems like a kind of a similar guy, a little bit smaller, but kind of, he's got a heck of an arm. If you, if you go, go find him on YouTube, uh, check out how he can sling the ball just, you know, with his feet planted in the pocket. It's really impressive. Uh, so, you know, he had, a, he had a visit to U of A again. I don't think he was offered by Arizona, but he seems like a lot like Grant Cannell. Now, they landed another quarterback this week as well. I'll mention real quick. Uh, Jaden White from Cactus Shadows uh, joined the team as a preferred walk-on. Uh, Jaden worked with our guy, Dan Minucci. He's another uh, Minu- uh, Minucci. Yeah, Minucci. That's, that's our boy. Yeah, with some of the best quarterbacks to come out of the Phoenix area in recent years. So, by my count, that makes uh, four quarterbacks on the roster heading into next no, season. Well, there, there's another one, actually, uh, that you missed, and I can't remember his name. I believe he's from Oregon State. He's Jesse Harper's boyfriend. Oh, yes, um, yes. So that would make five. Uh, that would make five. I, I can't uh, offhand. I'm trying to remember his name. But also, when you look at uh, you look at defense, uh, it's a pretty big pickup what, what happened on, uh, what was that, two, uh, Monday or Tuesday, getting Trey Hayward from Western Michigan. I mean, that is – you know, he was the MAC Defensive Player of the Year in 2015 or 2019. Jeez, what mm-hmm. is wrong with me getting confused tonight? Um, you know, when it comes to that, I mean, that's that defense was needed a lot of help. And you know, if this guy can provide a spark that maybe Colin Schooler would have provided had he still been on the roster, I mean, that's exactly what Arizona and Don Brown needed. I think that Don Brown and, and company have done the best job they can to try to fill the holes on defense because I mean, there's. There's so many of them. They're not going to plug them all year one. There's no way. No. But between uh, Treshawn Hayward, who's going to probably bring a lot of leadership because he's a veteran guy. You know, he's been around for uh, three years. Uh, and then uh, along with Jason Harris, who's going to join his brother Jalen in the in uh, on defense, who we had on a couple weeks ago. You should definitely take a listen to that with him and his uh, father, Sean Harris, an Arizona alum. Uh, you know, they're doing what they can to to uh, get some pressure up front on quarterbacks, get some TFLs. Uh, and Hayward has already shown he can do that. He had I think it's 16 and a half tackles for loss last season. Uh, he'll bring some veteran leadership. Don't be surprised if he's a team captain mm. next season. So uh, they're plugging as many holes as they can. Uh, but, you know, I, I realistically, I don't think my expectations have changed for next season, but it's encouraging to see what this uh, coaching staff has been able to do in such a short amount of time. Mine have. Uh, I'm going to put the bar at four wins. Um, you know, I, I think we'll, we'll have to look at their schedule when the Pac-12 schedules are released probably in the next two weeks, I would assume. Um, we'll find out what, you know, it looks like and, and we'll, I'm sure we'll break that down game by game. But this, this to me is a four-win team, whereas a, a few weeks ago it was a one-win team. It was NAU or bust. Uh, now I'm looking at it think, thinking this team, depending on how the schedule shakes out, could win three games in the Pac-12. Uh, you know, we'll see how good a coach Jed, Jed Fish is. And maybe I'm drinking the Kool-Aid a little too early, but I'm all about it. What what he is doing uh, is unbelievable. It is just remarkable. He has a call every Wednesday night with the high school coaches in the state. I mean, that is phenomenal, Shane. That is something that 
I mean, recruiting hasn't been taken seriously. No disrespect to Rich Rodriguez. Clearly, Kevin Sumlin didn't care. Uh, it had they they haven't really recruited well since Mike Stoops. When Stoops was able to bring in, you know, Earl Mitchell and and uh, Antoine Kaysen, Rob Gronkowski, Nick Foles, etc. This is really, really exciting to see this. In just a few weeks, they've done a better job recruiting Arizona and the Phoenix area specifically than Kevin Sumlin did. And one thing I was hoping that we'd see with Don Brown, because Don Brown, one of my knocks on him is, you know, he's never coached West of Ann Arbor, Michigan until now. But he might have a chance to bring the, some of those guys from the East and the Upper Midwest to Arizona, and he's doing that, bringing in a couple transfers uh, from Northwest, and one on the offensive side of the ball, one on defense. So that wasn't both him, but still, uh, bringing in guys like Trayshawn Hayward, who got offers from Western Michigan and schools, I think, all from the eastern part of the country, never got offered by a Pac-12 school originally. Bringing those kinds of guys, and so, like Mark May mentioned, and I'll ask him about this later. The first time he was on with us, he talked about go recruit some of those guys on the East coast and sell them about the benefits of playing in Arizona yeah, and being, right. able to wear, being able to wear shorts uh, in the winter. And I think Arizona is already doing that. And it gives me a lot of hope that they'll be able to do that going forward as well. Well, let's go talk to John Fina, the enthusiastic former offensive lineman for the university of Arizona and the Buffalo bills, primarily in the national football league. And then two time Super Bowl champion, Mark may join Shane. And then we'll recap it here on wildcat country. We are very pleased to welcome a proud Wildcat alumnus, a star offensive lineman for the Wildcats in the late 80s, early 90s, and then he played, I believe, 10 years in the NFL, mostly for the Buffalo Bills. John Fina joining us. John, great to have you here. And I think the ultimate question, I guess the first question I want to start with is, so Jed Fish was hired a month ago. What did you think then, and what do you think now? Well, number one, it was 11 years in the NFL, but you're forgiven. (laughs) Sorry about that. There you go. So this definitely was a sort of out of the realm of possibility higher. I mean, there's no denying it. I mean, you know, his resume is solid from one perspective, but from another, you might say, well, that's odd. So I guess we can only go, I'm I'm not the type of person that's going to react into the Twitter sphere or the face bloggery kind of stuff. You know, I'm more of a, let's see, let's wait and see. We're not curing cancer. And so far, the outcome of a football game hasn't fed the world, right? So (laughs) let's keep it in perspective. Well, the dust has settled on the hire, but there's a new cloud of dust forming. And that's the activity that he's done and he's brought to this program that we really haven't seen since the time of Dick Tomey, arguably Mike Stoops. So I've been incredibly impressed with the staff he's put together with the recruiting plan that he's engaging with, the the number of offers that went out, the engagement with the Arizona uh, high school athletes. Uh, I've actually been on the phone with our head coach, um, as have so many other alumni. And we haven't had that engagement ever. Uh, So it's been remarkable. I'm as excited about Arizona football as I've ever been. Wow. A big wow. statement. Uh, and, yeah. you know, and along the lines, John, of the alumni, it really seems like that massacre against ASU on December 11th really woke up the alumni and really got them to sort of mobilize and, and get together and say, we need to do what we can to help fix this program. Uh, how much of, it sounds like you've been a big part of that. Uh, how much have you been a part of it? And is it an accurate statement to say that that game really helped 
open up a lot of people's eyes and, and to realize, okay, we need to do something to turn this program around? I don't think it's so much that we have to do something to turn this program around, but it was definitely a um, lightning bolt that we're not organized as alumni. And we started this to coalesce around a few guys in leadership. So there's, there's a handful of us who are sort of at the helm for lack of a better expression and trying to navigate where we're going to land. You know, what's our relationship going to look like with the program? But here's the interesting part in our, well, one of the guys in our group who's taken on the lion's share of the research has found that programs around the country from Notre Dame to Alabama to Auburn to Tennessee have had alumni groups that are organized and active for decades, for decades. And shame on me, shame on the guys before me, and shame on the guys after me for not having put together a, a cogent plan and a group with uh, a mission statement. So whether it was 70 to 7 or just finally we realized that we're not involved, we're not organized, and we should have been, now we're, we're getting there. And it's a work in progress. So from we have all kinds of great lofty plans, and we have to address some very basic plans. Uh, and ideas and concepts. So those are in the works and I'm really, um, I'm happy to be a part of it. I'm honored to be a part of it with some really great Wildcat legends. And we don't ever expect to be naming a new head coach, right? But we also expect a certain amount of counsel to hear from your alumni, to get your alumni active in a positive way can only benefit your program. And we've just been kind of wallowing in limbo. And it's not, it's not the responsibility of the athletic department or the university to have kicked us in the butt. It was our own. So you've got a couple of fellow alumni, John, on Jed Fish's coaching staff, Ricky Hunley and Chuck Cecil. You think of those guys and some other at least really impressive-looking names uh, on this coaching staff. Any big names that stand out to you as far as, wow, that was a fantastic hire? Well, I think bringing Brandon Sanders in, uh, you didn't mention him, and he won't be an on-the-field coach, but structurally, this program has missed out on Arizona athletes. I mean, what, which bowl game was it where both quarterbacks came out of Phoenix? I mean, Phoenix now is probably one of the top 10 recruiting markets in the country. Yeah, Fiesta Bowl, Fiesta Bowl you had Tyler Shuck and, uh, and Brock Purdy, both from Phoenix. Oregon and Brock Purdy, right. Yep. Okay. The fact that we're not figuring out a way to try and attract a kid to Tucson, it, whether we get them or not, where's the effort? I mean, this is fertile recruiting ground and that we weren't doing it. So a guy like Brandon Sanders, who's committed to Arizona, who's hard nosed, who's relentless, who runs the marathon and the sprint at the same time is going to have an immediate impact just on our relationships in the state. And I, I don't know if you guys are privy. I mean, it's been out there on the, the Twitter box. Uh, Jed Fish is engaging with the head coaches in Phoenix. Hey, a journey of a thousand miles starts with a single step, right? I, I applaud everything he's doing. I like the hire from, uh, from Michigan, Don Brown. Um, circumstances, whatever they were for him leading there. I think we need, we need a blend, right? Everybody, oh, we want the young guy nobody's ever heard of. I mean, I've heard of I've heard of Sports Center, the Internet, and Twitter Box. There's there are no secrets anymore. You cannot hide. So th those guys are few and far between. 
capturing one, getting one. But you also have to consider that, you know, football is an old game and, and you need some rudimentary aspects, some basics to football and coaching that have to be in place. And I think, uh, I think coach brings that for the defensive side. So John, your son, Bruno is at UCLA. He is, you know, obviously a Tucson high school or, you know, out of, out of the city of Tucson. Um, that was a, that was a bad one to lose for Arizona. Do you think now, and obviously UCLA is, is doing fine over there under Chip Kelly and such. Do you think now would be different if he were recruited, let's say, for, ne- for next year or a year down the road? Do you think he would be more willing to listen to Arizona than he was under previous regimes? Yeah, it's funny. I mean, I kind of dissect things as they're said to me, Eric. So listening, right? We didn't, we didn't really have a chance to listen. listen. They were so late to the game. Wow. I mean, it was, I was like profoundly amazed. Especially when you consider, and I haven't looked up the data, and you can do that. I'll, I'll give you this job, right? So every year a school wants to sign, what, three to four offensive linemen, right? You got five guys per year, five-year scholarships, 15 guys in the room, gives you a taxi squad. But what does it also do? It accounts for the number of guys who just never pan out. You know, if you get four guys a year, I think your realistic expectation is you get productivity out of three maybe three and a half. So I live here. I played in the NFL. My kid is big, but he needs to be developed, work development program. What's the downside of offering the kid like that in a second, in a second? It's common sense. It's common sense. If he becomes the one kid that that doesn't pan out, you still have plausible deniability because you did the right thing. That's right. I mean, it was ludicrous. So, I don't know. I mean, yeah, it would have been a different environment. This staff, this excitement, Bruno probably would have listened a little bit more closely. Um, but they dropped the ball on Bijan. They dropped the ball on Lathan. Um, and I don't, I don't know. I mean, we, again, our alumni, I'm, I'm not in the building. I know my kid was being recruited, but the amount of speech was, was ridiculous. Bruno was having more engagement from coaches that he, you know, he told I'm not interested in going to Purdue or Iowa State than he did from the U of A. That's embarrassing. I mean, he is a kid, a legacy, obviously with great bloodlines uh, for an offensive lineman. As you said, he needed to develop, but still he's a three-star prospect coming out of Tucson uh, with a father who's a famous alumnus. It just makes no sense to me. So in your opinion. Yeah, and in the end they did, they did offer him. But it was too late. Well after, well after USC and, and uh, UCLA, and, you know, I think he felt a little, you know, a little bit of disrespect. Wouldn't, wouldn't anybody? Wouldn't anybody? Uh, well, and, and, you know, a, a, a great player and a great kid behind him one year, Jonah Miller, when they did their reach out to Arizona weekend, um, they had them both in the building, and they offered the kid who's got, you know, behind him, that weekend and didn't offer this kid. I think it was, I think that was kind of the nail in the coffin for the U of A recruiting Bruno Fina. But look, that's the path, right? Those people are gone. Now we can only judge the people that are in place by the body of work that they're establishing now. Uh, I'm not really hurt. I thought Bruno would leave the state anyway, but he had a great visit only because they did a great job on one day. He took that visit mostly because I said, you have to take this visit. And at the end of the visit, he said, geez, that was pretty impressive. If they had been doing that for nine months, maybe. 
Yeah, it's boy that that is that is so frustrating to hear, you know, as diehard fans like Shane and I are. In your opinion, what is the reasonable expectation for Arizona football on a year in year out basis in terms of record and and accomplishments? Yeah, I mean, in the short term or even in the long term, you know, I'm like I'm a real realist. I'm a pragmatist, whatever you want to call it. Last year was an anomaly, having three kids out of Tucson, Arizona, you know going to power five conferences and being in the top 1000 in the country. We don't get that all the time. Our recruiting garden in Tucson is pretty thin. Let's be fair. So we have to leave our market to recruit, which means Phoenix. Your kid grows up in Phoenix. He's looking at ASU. If he's good enough to look beyond ASU, then he's getting pulled by UCLA, USC, Stanford, Cal, what have you, Colorado. So we're in a really challenging marketplace. We've got to find the kids that, like, you know, like I was, where I was 210 pounds, and God knows what it could be in five years. We, we have to do that. We have to be committed. Um, Robbins and Hickey have to be committed to that. We can't judge results in Tucson on a three-year basis. But in the long run, you know what I'd like to see, what would make me proud You know, of course, I'd want more. Who doesn't want more? But seven wins a year, that's what I want. Mm -hmm. And in every couple, three years, nine to ten wins. You know, compete. Get that chance to go to the Rose Bowl. But put a product out on the field that fans can be proud of, that gives you a brand of football that's fun to watch with kids who um, are obviously, from the way they behave on the field and in the community, are being groomed to be – tremendous human beings. That's what I want. John, my last question for you, and we really appreciate your time today. Give uh, fans a realistic expectation as to how long you think it might take this staff to at least get back to a bowl game, even, you know, a low level bowl game. Are we thinking two years, three years? What, what should fans realistically expect? Yeah. I mean, look, it would be, it would be pretty amazing to do it in one year. I don't, I don't see that happening. Only because the, the Pac-12 South is pretty strong. I mean, you know, Utah might have had a average year. Colorado looked better for a while. UCLA and USC looked pretty good. And ASU's frightening with their receiving core. I mean, you have to say it. So, you know, if you're buying your season's tickets right now with plans to go to the bowl game, I would tell you to maybe just have a little bit of caution about your expectations. Mm-hmm. But – you know, it all relies on the, the portal. How, how are the kids that, that came in the transfer portal going to impact the team? you got a running back and a safety out of a program that is very impressive at Northwestern. So if you can have this sort of injection of excitement and of culture from the outside of people joining the program, just look at what Quantrez Knight did at UCLA when he transferred in. I mean, what an, inc- what an incredible injection. And if the leadership and, and the staff is doing all the right things and, and they're unified and they can instill a, a, a degree of confidence in the players about the coaches love me, um, the coaches believe in the game plan, I believe we have a chance, then, you know, we could, we could exceed expectations in year two. I mean, if we, had, if we had six wins next year, I would say we're on the road to something good. If we have five, I think that would be – um, that would be good. Seven would be outstanding. Oh, I lied, Eric. One more question. Sorry. Uh, John, any interest if, if Jetfish gives you a call and, and says, hey, I want you on my staff in any capacity, any interest in, uh, in doing that if that happens? 
Man, I got to tell you, I can't even work my printer, but Xeroxing and photocopying, I'd be an abject failure as an admin assistant. I, <laughs> that's a joke. Because <laughs> I'm not, I don't know. You're sure. I mean, you're I'm, sure. Yeah, you're sure. Yeah. So, um, I don't know. I mean, that, 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 that question came out of left field. No one's asked me that. So, I don't, I don't even know how to respond to that. I don't, um, you know, I, I think Brennan Carroll is going to do a great job as the offensive line coach. Um, and uh, the offensive coordinator position. It's kind of interesting, right? Like 20 years ago, you'd say, you can't coach offensive line and be the coordinator except Pat Held in it. But you're looking at the past, you know, where has his uh, coaching been steeped, right? So mm-hmm. position coaching, offensive coordinator, it's, it's a challenge. I mean, you're going to – that will definitely be a challenge. So I'd be interested to see how he does that. Maybe he needs a, a tackles coach. I don't know. Uh, certainly, I'm, I'm happy and love my current profession, but – I, <laughs> it's it's a non-answer to a probably a non-question, but I will say this: you got me super amped up talking about Bruno and the way they recruited Tucson. And how, like Eric has they, a way of doing that. Yes, I do. I'm guilty as charged. Um, All right. Well, hey, look, I had a great time being on your on your show here. Look, uh, I need to dig into the positions. Um, a lot of dust still has to settle on what the spring even looks like, you know, what are the practices going to look like? How can they, how can they get work in this, this environment that everybody's forced to live in and, and really kind of put the seeds in place and grow the game plans and the, and the offense and the defense. That's a huge challenge. I mean, anybody at a school who retained their coach who had some success is building off of something. We're starting it from new and these circumstances certainly don't, um, don't uh, benefit a new cultivar. John Fina, star offensive lineman, uh, 11-year pro uh, in the NFL. And it just I really appreciate uh, – got it right, finally. Uh, I really appreciate your passion for the program and, and love the analysis you gave us today. We'd love to have you back on before the season comes around with you knowing more to give us some more analysis. Thank you so much for joining us here in Wildcat Country. Hey, Eric, Shane, you guys can have me back anytime. If you're bored and you don't want to read through Twitter, follow me at John Fina. I never post. I only comment with, uh, with goofy comments, but <laughs> it is the way. I, I want the world to be more fun, more relaxed, and more competitive for the Arizona Wildcats. Let's go, Cats! Bear down! Joined now by two-time Super Bowl champion, college football Hall of Famer, and longtime college football and NFL analyst Mark May. This is Mark's second appearance on Wildcat Country. Uh, Eric's not available for this one, but I know he always just likes to jump right in. So before I get your thoughts on Jed Fish, let me ask you about Kevin Sumlin one more time. You know, for those who haven't listened to our chat a few months ago, and I think you hit the nail on the head, frankly, could you explain why you just weren't as excited about the Sumlin hire as most of us were three years ago and why you're probably not surprised about his lack of success in Tucson? Well, because of lack of energy. I, th- I think when they hired Kevin Sumlin at the time, it was almost like one of those things he just fell into place. He wasn't really searching for that job and he really didn't want the job. And he was just out there, well, you know, if I get a job, you know, I'll take it. It was that type of attitude because he was being paid an exorbitant amount of money by Texas A&M to go away. And now he's being paid a lot of money by Arizona to go away. So he's sitting pretty right now and good for him. If anybody can get it done, I'm happy for him. But in this situation, you just didn't see the energy, the desire there. And even the attitude on the sidelines, even the attitude in his press conference, 
conferences. It just wasn't there. When I hire a coach or if I'm involved, if I'm an athletic director, I want to see the fire. I want to see the guy hit the ground running and say, this is what we're going to do. This is what I want to do. This is my plan. This is my vision for the program. I just never saw that from Kevin Sullivan. Well, the past is the past. Let's leave it there. Let's talk about the future. Let's talk about Jed Fish. Uh, First of all, what did you know about him? Anything before he was named Arizona's head football coach a month ago? Not a lot. I had to go back and research because you really didn't hear the name a lot. He was one of those coaches on the New England staff. And I guess everybody out there, if you want to take the lazy way of hiring somebody, hey, let's get somebody from the Patriots staff because they've won a lot of Super Bowls. No, that's not the way you do it. If you look at most of the coaches that have been head coaches in college or pros from the staff, it's been hit or miss. And usually it's miss from this Patriots staff. They end up going back to New England. So this is one of those hires that I really wanted to look at. And for Jed Fish, it's not a household name. You're going to hire somebody during a pandemic. You can't go out and see the recruits face-to-face or their parents because you have to do everything virtually. So if you're not a household name, how do you break that ceiling? How do you get into those homes and talk to those parents? That's going to be tough, particularly for a team that's coming off of consecutive losses of five during the season and 12 overall in the last two seasons. This team hasn't won a football game since October 2019. Mm -hmm. So you're looking back at this football team when they start this fall, it's only going to be two years since they've had a victory. So how do you recruit? You can't recruit the top echelon players, the five stars and four stars. Why would they go to Arizona? You're going to be battling the FCF schools and the and not the Power Five, but the group of five schools for recruits. So if you're going to do that in a Power Five conference, how are you going to compete? That's the question I have for Jeb Fish right now. How many recruits can you bring in? Because you've already lost a lot of good players through the, through the transfer portal. So were you surprised, like a lot of us were at the time, that Arizona didn't uh, went this route instead, instead of, instead of possibly picking from like, any number of Dick Tomey disciples or former players like Brent Brennan from San Jose State or Ken Matalolo from Navy, any of those guys, were you surprised they went this route? Yeah, I was. I thought Kenny Amatololo was in the running the last time, and he's done an outstanding job at Navy, but it would be tough to get him out of there because he's got such a great job. You're living in Annapolis. I live there. It's a wonderful place to live. And plus, he's had so much success there, and I think it would be highly competitive for Arizona to try to match his salary. The other thing is when you look at the coach from from San Diego State or San Jose State, he's done a fantastic job. That's what I thought they'd go after. I thought, you know, here's a guy that's the hottest name that's out there right now, one of the hottest names out there right now. Why don't you strike while the iron's hot where you can get a coach where there's some type of recognition, at least nationally, that he's done a great job in that format at San Jose State. I was kind of surprised at that. Then the other thing that surprised me is I was told the athletic director didn't pick this coach. It was the, pres- the president of the university. So the athletic director is basically going to be bulletproof for the next three or four years. If this doesn't work out, it's like, I didn't pick this coach. You did yeah, we've heard a lot of conflicting reports about who was really who really made that hire and was it a collaborative effort or what, you know. But so we've gone back and forth on that. And I still personally am not thrilled with the way that all went down. I think that, you know, your athletic director is there for a reason. Uh, but, you know, what's done is done and we're, no choice. But, you know, Jed Fish is the guy for better or worse. Now, you know, yeah, Michigan, I've, I've got to say one thing here. Yeah. When you're in the position that they are in, when you've lost 12 consecutive games, when you're the worst team in the Pac-12, when you're the laughing stock of the conference in almost the country, basically you're treated like the Kansas of the Big 12 or the Vanderbilt of the SEC right now. That's where you are. Yep. You've got to make a statement higher. You've got to make a splash higher. Whatever it takes, if you've got to go out there and you've got to go to all the alumni and you've got to take all the nickels out of every pocket, find every dime you can find, get as much money as you can to get a quality coach with a quality name that's a visible name that's out there that can bring in a quality coaching staff, that's what you have to do. Because otherwise, guess what? You're still going to be digging that hole. 
Let's talk about Jed Fish's coaching staff because he did bring in a, uh, at least a couple of big names in terms of defensive coordinator Don Brown from Michigan. Uh, he got Brennan Carroll uh, from, uh, from the Seahawks. Pete Carroll's son, obviously, is the offensive coordinator. A couple of alumni there, Ricky Hunley, who I think you faced in Super Bowl twenty two as defensive line coach, uh, Chuck Cecil as well. Talk about some of those guys. Who, wh- wh- break down Jed Fish's staff. What do you think? Well, I think if you look at Ricky Hunley and Chuck Cecil, obviously you've got NFL pedigree there and you've got guys that have played at the U of A. Those guys will help in recruiting, at least name recognition, and with the alumni, they'll sue the alumni a little bit. But if you look at the other hires, Pete Carroll's son, if he was that good of a coach, why would he be leaving the NFL and Pete Carroll, his dad, for this job if he was such a great coach? The other thing, if you look at, if you look at Scotty Graham, the running back coach, mm-hmm. he hasn't been a coach. Yep. Here's the guy the last six years, he's been at the ASU in the front office and before that at the NFLPA. So you're telling me you're going to hire a guy at a power five school that hasn't coached and put him at the running back position. There you go. That's what you do. Okay. You talk about Don Brown. I like Don Brown, very affable guy. I've met him, known him before. He was the finalist a few years ago for the uh, Broyles award. I host that every year when he was at Michigan, did a great job his first couple of years, but his last couple of years, that's the reason why he's not at Michigan. There's a reason for that. So if he was still at his prime and at the top of his game, he wouldn't be coaching here. He'd be coaching someplace else at a competitive school. You know, he's got a great background. You know, he coached at UConn, coached at UMass, coached at Maryland. He's been on the East Coast, but he's never had a job west of the Mississippi. So the name recognition really isn't there for recruits. So when I look at the staff and break it down, you tell me what guy has the chops to walk into a living room once we get back after the pandemic and try to recruit a three- or four-star kid from California that wants to come to U of A and play at Arizona or a kid from Texas that wants to do that. Are you going to even take the call? Are you even going to answer the text? Because if you're being recruited by, let's say, Arizona State, UCLA, USC, Texas Tech, Texas, Oklahoma, are you really going to take one of your trips to Arizona? Probably not. What's funny about this, Mark, is I, I, you sounded just like I did a month ago. And I was very skeptical of the hire. And I'm still skeptical to a certain extent, but I definitely feel a little bit better about it now than I did then. One of the things that you mentioned when you chatted with us a few months ago is that you maybe try to go out and get some of those East Coast kids and sell them on, on the weather in Tucson and, and, and the culture out here. Maybe Don Brown, who I made the same point you did. He's never coached West of Ann Arbor, Michigan. This, the day he was hired, I made that point. But is he a guy who maybe can get some of those guys, like, like a transfer, like the MAC Player of the Year in 2019 who just uh, committed to Arizona as a graduate transfer? Yeah, that's great, but that's the MAC Conference, okay? Uh, he's probably a wonderful player. Let's hope he is. But now he's got to play with the big boys every week. And the other thing is for Don Brown, hopefully he can do that. Hopefully he can get some players out of the Midwest and Michigan where they've recruited or the East Coast because he, he recruited in the Ivy League in that area for years and years. So, but that's going to be the challenge. You know, if I was running this university or if I was giving advice, I would say take your money in your athletic budget department and recruiting and try to at least take at least 25% of it and go to the East, go to the Midwest and try to get some of those players. Maybe you'll pick off a few. Maybe you'll get a two-star that turns into a four-star. Maybe you'll get a couple of those guys. Maybe you get a Rob Gronkowski type that, you know, wanted to get out of Pittsburgh because of the bad weather and wants to come out West and enjoy the good weather because you might get one or two or three of those guys. Those are the guys you're going to have to pick off the tree. Because if you can't get some of those guys, you're not going to compete in the West. How can you compete in the state of California? Now you've got the Sark. The Sark is at Texas. You don't think he's going to be coming out to California and trying to get some of the recruits on the West Coast? Because guess what? He was the head coach at Washington at USC. He's got all those contacts out here. So you've got other competition out there. Not only the competition in the Pac-12, you've got competition all over the country because you look at Nick Saban. The SEC is getting a bunch of California kids now. So guess what? There's a lot of competition for some of the, some of the better players in the country, particularly in the state of California. I feel like another reason, Mark, why Arizona maybe went with Jed Fish or Dr. Robbins maybe specifically went with Jed Fish is because they sort of looked at what was happening up at ASU, the NFL model there. And I feel like that's maybe a route they went with Jed Fish because 
Arizona has not sent a lot of guys to the NFL, not with Rich Rodriguez, not with Kevin Sumlin. They have some guys with a lot of ties to the NFL who have NFL coaching experience, who have played in the NFL. Do you think that there's some appeal there, or are you skeptical? Skeptical of that, Gene, and this is the reason why. Jed Fish is no Herm Edwards. Done. Okay? Herm's got the chops. He's played in the NFL. He's coaching the NFL, not only as assistant, but as a head coach, not at one place, but at multiple places. And he's been on national TV at ESPN for over a decade. Plus, he was with the Under Armour company when they had the Under Armour high school games. So he had that recognition with all the high school kids across the country. Totally different. It's a great format that you want to follow, but you've got to have the guy in place to follow that format. Let me back up also to ask you a little bit more about Ricky Hundley, who I mentioned you did face off against in Super Bowl 22. Do you know him? What do you think about him? Uh, I haven't seen him in a while, but um, happy that uh, he's back coaching at uh, U of A. Maybe I can run into him. I can show him my Super Bowl 22 ring, but uh, <laughs> I haven't seen him in a while, but I wish him the best of luck. Now, like I mentioned, Fish has to brought in some transfers already. Uh, Treshawn Hayward, who I mentioned, uh, Gunnar Cruz, former local QB who uh, transferred from Washington State. Obviously, Wildcats have a ton of holes to fill. The Pac-12 right. South is looking pretty good for 2021. Realistically, Wildcat fans shouldn't expect more than three, four wins next season, right? It's going to be tough. They start off with BYU, and they're going to be an underdog in that game. We know that. And then they go to San Diego State. They start off – they play off San Diego State. That might be a pick game. I don't think they're going to be favored until they play their third game against Northern Arizona. So it's going to be tough for them to get out of the blocks. And if you look at the South, you look at – look at what Carl, Carl Durrell's done at Colorado. That was one of the biggest surprise jobs uh, – coaching jobs last year in the Pac-12. Nobody expected them to do as well as they did. And if you look at some of the other schools, UCLA starting to come along. USC is getting their recruits again, and they're getting transfers from all – they just got a running back from Texas the other day. So you look at the job that USC is doing, so it's going to be very competitive in the South. And ASU, obviously, you know what's happening there. They're getting guys coming through the transfer portal, and Herms kept just about all the players. They're getting guys that wanted to go to the NFL, looked at it and said, you know what, after this season, I'm coming back to Arizona State. So, you know, they, they've got a pretty good nucleus of players at Arizona State. So it's going to be very competitive in the Pac-12 South. Now, Fish and his staff really have offered – they've hit the ground running. They've offered dozens of kids for 2022 and beyond, like a lot already just in the last few weeks. They, they, they have seem no like, choice. They seem, they seem like they're taking a very aggressive approach. I mean, are you – you say they don't have any choice because they have the, those holes to fill. But it seems like they might offer like 100 kids in the next you – know, by the end of this month. Do you like that kind of approach? Well, I'll tell you a story of a long time ago that people probably don't know. I believe it was 1973, Johnny Major's first year at the University of Pittsburgh. That's exactly what he did. He flooded the zone. He went out there, just offered everybody scholarships when he got to Pittsburgh and decided to bring as many players as he possibly could and find out how many players would accept the scholarships, how many walk-ons he could get to come in, and just basically try to get every football player that he could get to come there. And ended up a national championship four years later, but it was a little different because he got a guy named Tony Dorsett at the running back position, which doesn't hurt, doesn't hurt at all for your program. Um, I believe it's, that's the only way that they can approach this system because if they try to go out there and just say, you know, we're going to cherry pick this guy and we're going to try to get that guy and this guy, if they lose out on all those guys who are cherry picking, who do they have left? Once they fall back on the players that they didn't, they didn't recruit before or offer before, they're going to be going somewhere else. So it's a good idea to do that, but basically that's the only option that they have is to go ahead and flood the zone and see what they can get. It seems like uh, we talked to one of Kevin Sumlin's former players, and it sounds like he and his staff weren't great at developing those like three-star, high-end, two-star guys. You know, he was used to those four- and five-star guys. How important is it at Arizona, especially when you're going to get mostly those high-end, two-star, and three-star guys to have coaches who could not only coach but can actually develop kids? I think the thing is, I don't know who he's hired as a strength and conditioning coach, but he gotta, he's got to go out there and get the best one that they can find by far overpay them if you have to get them to leave their situation because if you look at some of the great schools look at the georges 
look at the Alabamas especially, they not only get the good recruits, they develop those recruits and make sure that they get better. And that's the one thing about Nick Saban that so impressed me over the years. He's taken those five-star recruits and made them better gotten them better so they're better prepared for the NFL and they get drafted in the NFL. Look at the draft the last few years. It's always the SEC that has the most draft picks, but it's always Alabama that has the most first round, the most second round, the most third round draft picks. And it's every position. It's not just running back. It's not just defensive line. It's not just wide receiver now. It's quarterback. It's everything. Even their, even their special teams guys are getting, getting drafted right now. So you look at the way that they develop. If, if I was Jed Fish, I'd go to Alabama. I'd go there for, for practice. I'd go try to sit down with Nick Saban and his staff. I'd find out their blueprint. I wouldn't try to take Bill Belichick's blueprint and try to make it work in college because it's not going to. It's different. It's apples and oranges. Go with the great programs. Find out how they do it consistently year in and year out. It's funny you mentioned that because uh, they did hire Alabama's assistant strength and conditioning coach as their strength and conditioning coach. So maybe they're on the right track there. There you go. Uh, Hopefully in that because – People don't realize how important a strength and conditioning coach is because he's with the players so much as much as the position coach is. Because right. in the summer, in the OTAs, when they're working out in the summer, when they're lifting those weights, he's spending a lot of time with these kids when the coaches can't. All right, completely off topic, Mark, but I, I forgot to ask you about this last time. For those who don't know, Mark had his Super Bowl rings stolen about a year and a half ago. And the genius mm-hmm. who stole them tried to sell them at the Pawn Stars shop in Las Vegas <laughs> and got caught. Uh, how did that all end up? I assume you've had your rings back for a while now. Yeah, I, I got them back. Uh, the Mesa Police Department and their detectives did an outstanding job. So did the Las Vegas detectives and their police department. And I really applaud them and thank them. I have before. And the thing is, the player, the player, excuse me, the person that took them, unfortunately, isn't in jail yet because of the COVID situation. Mm. Even in Arizona and Nevada, has been pushed back each and every time. Every time we go to court, we've been to court four times so far in Nevada. Oh. Every one of those has been pushed back. So it's going to be interesting to see. I'm not letting it go. Hopefully, the uh, Las Vegas is not letting it go because they're still in contact with me, and so is Arizona. So uh, the person that took them thinks he's going to get off and, and thinks that I'm going to forget about it, but that's never going to happen. No. And, well, last thing for you, Super Bowl prediction. Can we get one yet from you, or do we need to wait until next week to get your pick? No, it's it's early right now. I, you know, I've already broken it down, and I've already done the show with Coach Holtz uh, on the crowds line. And, you know, it's going to be a close game. It's, it's going to come down to what happens to the offensive line for Kansas City. They've lost not only one tackle, but now they've lost their left tackle in Eric Fisher. So how's Andy Reid going to scheme that? I think they're going to scheme that and have Patrick Mahomes. He's healthy now with that toe and concussion. Mm-hmm. They're going to have design runs for him because the last two opponents that they played in the playoff, you look at Green Bay, you look at New Orleans and their quarterbacks, they're not mobile quarterbacks. Aaron Rodgers and – Brees can move in the pocket, but they're not running quarterbacks. Patrick Mahomes is not a per se running quarterback, but he will pull it down and pick up those chunks of yards to move the chains. I think that's going to be a major part of this game. And how are you going to stop Tyree Kill? Last time he torched you for over 200 yards in the first quarter alone. So you're looking at Travis Kelsey and Tyree Kill last week combined for 290 yards total in the championship game. How do you stop them? You pick your poison if you're Todd Bowles, the defensive coordinator for Tampa Bay. You've got to take one out of the equation. You've got to figure out which one you're going to take out of the equation. For me, I would try to take Kelsey out of the equation because he's going to be close to the line of scrimmage. But Tyreek Hill, you have no one on defense that can keep up with him speed-wise. He's going to take the top off the defense. I like Kansas City to win a very competitive game because I think this is almost a destiny game for Tom Brady. Everything's worked out well for Tom Brady. Goes to Tampa Bay. Goes to Bruce Arians. They struggle early. Guess what? They have their bye. Their last loss of the season season was against Kansas City at home 27-24. 
So guess what? From the buy point, from that last loss, they put it together. They're hitting on all cylinders. They're doing it the Brady way. They're running the football, throwing the ball intermediate and short passes. They'll go long every once in a while. But when you look at this team, they've come together defensively and as a total team. It's going to be tough for Kansas City. It's not going to be an easy way to go. They're a three-point favorite in this dog, but I still like Kansas City to win this game 31-30. The new GOAT's going to take over. Okay, so Chiefs win, but don't cover. Got it. All right. Mark May, college football, NFL, legend, expert, analyst. Can't thank you enough for your insight. Hopefully, Jed Fish will prove you wrong. Hopefully, we'll have at least a couple of Wildcat wins to talk about next season. Appreciate you taking time once again to join us on Wildcat Country. You got it, Shane. I hope nothing but the best for Jed Fish and his staff, but it just doesn't look that good right now to me. Big thanks to John Fina and Mark May for joining us on Wildcat Country. Uh, Eric's back with us now. Eric, I know you had a chance to listen to that Mark May interview, and I'm going to go on a limb and guess you have some thoughts. Yeah, I don't I don't love what Mark had to say. Uh, you know, he's trying to be outspoken, and I appreciate that. But how can you not commend Jed Fish for what he's doing? I mean, is he not – Is May knew – he knew the Wildcats' schedule. He knew, you know, some of the things that they're, they're doing as far as the coaching stuff. How can you not be encouraged? Mark, what do you? Th- I mean, that's what. If I was on that interview, I'm, are you not paying attention to the constantly? You're getting new recruits. You're getting players that are uh, you're coming from you know colleges that are actually you know not bad. Northwestern had two transfers to Arizona. Is he not paying attention to that? Like you got it. You, you have you have to get on the Jed Fish train right now. You so, everybody has to get on it. You have yeah, to. Yeah. It, well, Eric, I think if you were. That was Mark May's second appearance on Wildcat Country. If you were part of that interview, he might not be willing to make a third. But I, I look, look, let me say this. It's funny because I'm sure about a month ago, most Wildcat fans would have agreed with most of Mark's sentiments about the hire, right? And before the interview, before we talked, before I started uh, hit record, he asked, what's the feeling in Tucson about, you know, about the hire? And I said, well, you know, fans are excited. And he almost jumped out of his chair. He couldn't believe it. Hmm. So I, I look, I think it's a good reality check. That while, yes, we like a lot of the things things that Coach Fish has done to this point, he hasn't coached a game yet. There's no wins, no losses to speak of. And there's a long way to go to rebuild this program. So a couple of things I will disagree with Mark on specifically. He did mention that he thought Kevin Sumlin failed in part because of you know the energy, the passion to be the Wildcats head coach just wasn't there. And I think that's that's there's no disputing that. Agreed. Well, I think Jed Fish is the antithesis of that. He craved this kind of opportunity, regardless yep. of what you think about him. And yep. he and his staff are already working like dogs to improve this program. Just the sheer amount of offers they're already put out there and all the work, like you mentioned, Eric, you know, the weekly chats with the high school coaches in the state, you know, that's unprecedented as far as I know. Also, Mark said, you need a big name. You need to make a you know big name to make a big splash hire and get everyone excited about the program again. Well, that's what Arizona did with Kevin Sumlin, right? And it didn't work. But right. again, I, I appreciate Mark's thoughts. And what I especially appreciate is the fact that it's not me being the wet blanket for a change. Yes, exactly. Exactly. I did appreciate that. Let me tell you what. John Fina, who we, we played before the uh, the Mark interview, uh, I'll tell you what. Uh, that that was one of the, my favorite interviews that we've done here on, on the show in almost six months. Just his enthusiasm and his passion for the program and you know, explaining why his son – uh, Bruno is at UCLA instead of Arizona. I know uh, some people had wondered that on the on the Twitter sphere uh, here this week. On the um, Twitter box, the, the Twitter boxes, box, as John called it. I, I tell you, just a fantastic guest. One of my favorite interviews. Uh, I'm I'm even going to go back and listen to it again. Um, it was just a lot of info, and, and I really appreciated his enthusiasm for the program. 
And I really feel like we've turned the corner here at Arizona. Now, the wins and losses may not show it, but if you can, if this team can play competitively next season, I think that's all that we can ask for. You know, don't get embarrassed night in, night out, as we saw from Arizona after the USC game. You know what's amazing is we we keep unraveling all these shortcomings of the Kevin Sumlin era. You know, and I don't want to keep dwelling on it because it's over, and thank goodness that it is. But when John talked about how late in the game Arizona offered his son, you know, and, and we again, like you talked about, we had a couple people on Twitter like, you oh, know, well, I'm so disappointed. You know, I can't believe that John Fina's son left. And well, there's more to the story. And the fact is Arizona wasn't on the ball when it came to to offering him. Uh, and that's been a constant, you know, not offering local kids, letting local talent slip, not coaching uh, some of these, you know, these two and three star guys that really need to be coached up. Like PJ Johnson told us about a few weeks ago. Yep. It's amazing just how many stories we're hearing uh, both on and off the field, really about Kevin Sullen and his shortcomings. But again, I'm excited for the future. I'm more excited for it now than I was after the hire, despite what Mark may says, I get a skepticism and look, if Jetfish overachieves, we'll have him back on and you can say, you know, you could, Say hey, what now, Mark? And and give him all the all the oh, crap that's you happening. Want. Oh, that's gonna that's gonna happen. I, I'm I am I'm fully on board with Jed Fish. I'm very pleased at what he's done thus far. I continue to hype it up every week on on the show, and I'm not going to change my opinion. He has exceeded my expectations times a thousand uh, since he was hired uh, right before Christmas. And we, I'm sure Jed Fish has a long list of people who would like to interview him. I put our name in the queue there. So Good. hopefully at Thank some you. point we'll, he'll be able to, to join us on Wildcat Country. Let me also talk about uh, some of the other teams we haven't discussed. We talk about football and men's hoops, and those are usually the big talkers. I get it. We've got a lot of ranked teams in Arizona. Uh, the baseball team ranked nationally in four different polls, ranging from number 10 to number 22. Mm. Uh, their season opener is scheduled for February 19th. Uh, we're going to hope to have Jay Johnson on, the uh, Arizona's baseball coach, on to chat about the season here in an upcoming episode. Uh, softball team ranked number three nationally in both major preseason polls. Now that means they're ranked third in the PAC 12 because UCLA and Washington are ranked ahead of them, but that's, that's typical. So a lot expected from them, uh, but excited about the softball team. Uh, the gymnastics team ranked number 15 nationally. Wow. Uh, shout out specifically to Jessica Castles, who scored nine, nine on her first collegiate beam routine last weekend. So I want to mention that. And then the beach volleyball team ranked mm. number 17. So a lot of sports about, to ramp up or just ramping up now. So we're going to have a lot to talk about beyond football and hoops very soon. And we'll be discussing those sports more often going forward. Also uh, the women's basketball team ranked number 10. They had one game last week. They beat Utah, uh, not able to play against Colorado and their, their games against UCLA and USC on the road were postponed due to COVID issues in the Arizona program. That's the first time this season that's happened for Arizona. Uh, so hopefully they'll be able to make up those games before seasons and especially that UCLA game, which will have big Pac-12 championship and NCAA tournament seeding implications. But still, hopefully the ladies are going to be able to get back on the court soon. They're still in very good shape, tied for first in the Pac-12 with Stanford right now. Most importantly, get healthy, uh, ladies. We expect a, a big run in March from you. And, uh, you know, it's unfortunate that, that you know, the Wildcats have done a great job uh, across all sports with uh, not having to deal with, with uh, COVID shutdowns like we've seen at other schools. And, uh, you know, it's, it's unfortunate that, you know, this is this is a time that they have uh, decided to uh, – they have to miss some games. But what's interesting to me is that the women's program is not shutting down for a period of time. They're still practicing and such or still, you know, it's not like the University of Michigan who 14 days for all sports, nobody's doing anything. Um, it's interesting that they are – they're not on officially on pause, if that right. makes sense. So yeah. I think that's encouraging. 
Yeah, and, and we don't know all the details, but it might just be, you know, a contract tracing issue and being cautious. Hopefully that's all it is. And hopefully they'll be able to, like the men's side is doing, be able to schedule games late in the season and get as many in as they possibly can. And then, you know, hopefully this is the only issue they have this season. If it had to happen any time, I'd rather it be now rather than March. So hopefully they're going to be able to get back on the court, play. They have a really tough schedule the rest of the way. Hopefully they'll be able to get those games in, get really battle tested and be healthy in time for the NCAA tournament, because if this team plays its best, they can make a final four run. Well, let's get a couple of W's uh, this week from the men's team, Stanford and Cal coming up. And uh, we have uh, a lot of great guests on the horizon. There's just a lot going on that is positive. As Shane just mentioned, coming up for uh, the spring teams here at the University of Arizona. And we are really excited to cover it here on Wildcat Country. I want to thank our guests once again, John Fina, who was fantastic. Mark May, who I'm really sorry I didn't get a chance to talk to, but Shane, you did a great job with Mark. And uh, I wish I could have uh, given him some rebuttals uh, on the interview, <laughs> but unfortunately, I was unable to make that one. But thank you, as always, uh, for co-hosting and booking the guests and, and uh, have a great time doing the podcast. Thank you all for, for downloading and listening to us. Uh, for Shane Dale, I'm Eric Cohen. And as I always like to say at the end of the program, bear down.